Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Grappalicious. It's episode 10, our decaversary. That's not a real word. Anyway, sure. Sure. I'm <laughs> going up. I am uh, the doctor, the subtle one. Uh, along with me is the J Briscoe to my Mark Briscoe. It is DJM. What's going on, DJM? Guys, gals, non-binary pals, humanoids, and humanettes, welcome to Grappalicious. We're going to talk about some wrestling, Subtle Doctor, so let's do this damn thing. Let's do it, and let's invert it. Uh, Usually, we talk news and then do a show review. Not today, friends, not on episode 10, not the day after. The historic first show of a company we've been following pretty closely since we started this podcast, All Elite Wrestling, Double or Nothing. We're going to run down Double or Nothing. We had a different show review in mind, but we thought, why not ride the wave? Let's capture the zeitgeist. Let us capture it like such... And ride such the a, trends. Such like a trend whores we are. Yes, indeed. I'm Like, share, uh, subscribe. Follow us, please. At Grapplicious on Twitter. Um, so yeah, double or nothing from Las Vegas, the NGM grand five twenty five. it happened and it was, it was a show that was it a very was interesting a show. show. It was a wrestling show. Everybody all elite wrestling, their debut show, the vision of Tony Khan, Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omega, and the young bucks has come to fruition, and it was there before our very eyes. Now, here on the Grappalicious Podcast, we don't do the typical match-by-match show review. We don't normally do that. Uh, but let, let's just get the overarching feelings before we jump into the weeds of Double or Nothing. Uh, for the folks out there that don't know, All Elite Wrestling is the wrestling company started by Tony Khan, father of Shahid Khan, owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, with the help of his executive vice presidents. Uh, this was the vision of the Young Bucks, Nick and Matt Jackson, who started the Being the Elite YouTube series. Uh, eventually, Cody Rhodes, uh, after his departure from World Wrestling Entertainment, uh, became friends with them, uh, along with Kenny Omega, the former IWGP heavyweight champion. And uh, it all began with a tweet from the incomparable <laughs> Dave Meltzer, uh, who, who was asked the question that, they probably couldn't sell out in arena. Cody Rhodes said, I'll take that bet, Dave. And then we got to all in. All in sold out an arena in Chicago. And they decided to go double or nothing in Las Vegas, Nevada. And here we are today. Now, Doc, I'll ask you first. Overall, how did you feel about AEW's double or nothing? Well, before I answer your question, I'm just going to unleash my my inner pedant 
for a moment and say, if we're, <clears throat> if we are going to take, you know, the names of these shows, these pay-per-views, like as the gambling analogies that they're meant to be, right? If you're, if you're all in, you're laying all your chips on the table. And that makes sense for the, the first show because they were really putting themselves out there, right? Now, double or nothing. It's my understanding that you would only want to go double or nothing if you lost your all-in bet, right? Because then you don't have anything to wager, so your only wager would be a double or... And it, well, it just see, seems... <laughs> see, like, you're... Your pedant is missing the fact that there is this idea that making money in wrestling is easy and that they invested more than they spent. Uh, you remember that the first Battle Royal at All In was called the Over Budget Battle Royal. Yes. So, yeah, yes, this was clearly another gamble on their part. Uh, put, putting everything else aside, this was another gamble. Uh, but how do you think it played out? Hmm. Well, let's see. Do okay. This is a this is very loaded. I have a I'm of a of two minds, or I've I've mixed feelings about it. I mean, in terms of was this a successful show for all elite wrestling financially was a successful show for them in terms of buzz was it a good follow up to all in you know surpassing what they done before building on it i think the answer to all those questions is a resounding yes I however think... right right <laughs> however however um However, well, though, you know what? Let me dwell on the positives for a moment, because I do think for the the fan of the elite, right, the, the person that has been following these folks and, and is really kind of on the same wavelength and tuned into what they're doing. I mean, you were like a pig in shit uh, last night, even more so than all in, because I do think this was a superior card and a superior show to all in. Um. Where the however comes in is, I guess I sort of felt like that this show was very WWE-esque in terms of its format, its presentation. And now, I, I this could be, a bit, and, and, and could be and is, a matter of expectation. I think when you are like they are and like their fans are positioning them as an alternative to WWE, I would very much like to see them do something different, substantially and formally different. Now, I know they're doing different and important things that are not as visible to me, like being conscious about the gender pay gap and, and eliminating that intentionally, being inclusive in terms of uh, the sensory uh, stuff. Well, I can't remember the right terminology, but it was a sensory inclusive show. Um, those kind of things are, are very good. 
But just for me on the couch, I don't know. I mean, having just watched a Chikara show, having seen lots of DDT shows, there's just different stuff that you can do that you there's a different picture you can paint on your canvas if you're a wrestling promotion. And I mean, maybe my standards are too high, but I just was thinking and maybe they'll get around to it when it by the time they get to TV and they'll build on it and they'll change things. And by the time October and their television rolls around, all these differences that they kind of work out over the next few months will be apparent. But um, it was just like a good it was a good WCW show It was a good WWE style show. You know what I mean? And I I just felt like I wanted a little bit, just a little bit more difference. All right, subtle doctor. I believe I have a general idea of your personal aesthetics when it comes to pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. So I understand what you're saying and where you're coming from. Me, on the other hand, I feel as though, given the talent on the show and the performers on the show and the way it was produced I've seen enough of WWE to know the nuances in the television production to know how different it double or nothing was and this is going to the minutia of television production of match format all of these very detailed things. And in that regard, AEW did do some things that were very, very different from WWE. At the same time, I definitely see where you specifically would want things that remind you less of mainstream American pro wrestling. I think that's what I'm getting at. There, there This was... AEW staking their claim to be a major mainstream American wrestling promotion. Now, for me, as someone who has always leaned towards a idea that a wrestling promotion does not have to be WWE to work on this side of the world, I liked Double or Nothing as a complete package. It had nearly everything that I would have hoped for uh, in terms of television production, in terms of match quality, in terms of performers and talents. It pretty much had everything that I could ask for. It, it really took me a lot to try to nitpick as we do on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm still trying to find things to nitpick about. I think I can pretty much count them on one hand. But my overall satisfaction with the show is almost 100%. Speaking as someone who just has always and forever been removed from the WWE sports entertainment vision, but still appreciates American pro wrestling a lot. I think I'm going to say 97.1% double or nothing pretty much nailed it for me. Pretty much. 
Well, can you um elaborate on on what you thought was so different about you know the big brand versus AEW? Because I mean, sure. I don't know. Uh, you got like the the matches were not too dissimilar uh, from what I have seen and I remember. And you had like just the different kind of segments, the quote unquote authority figures coming out at the beginning to set the agenda. You had the heel promo, the big celebrity presenting the title, the the stone cold cold style run in at the end. All that sort of stuff, it felt like, um, it just felt like I'd kind of seen it before. It didn't really, I didn't, this is not to say how I feel about any of the matches. I just, I'm thinking presentationally, I wasn't um, kind of blown away. But yeah, tell please elaborate on what you uh, meant. I can definitely break down one of those because I think Cody Rhodes did this for us in in a couple of different ways. Uh, The pre-show, the buy-in, ended with sort of a live episode of Being the Elite, mm-hmm. where we saw Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Cody, and Brandy Rhodes uh, do the hard sell and rally the troops for the wrestling show, which has been done since the days of Paul Heyman in ECW. And as a wrestling fan who always likes to rebel against the machine, that always works for me. It, it <laughs> always does. But part two, Cody Rhodes won uh, in his entrance. He smashed the idea of being an executive. And after the show, in his post-match press conference, he pointed out that even though he has this executive title, he's going to be a wrestler first. And Kenny and the Bucks have said as much. And I have no reason not to take them on their word. Hmm. And Tony Khan, in interview after interview after interview, has said repeatedly he is never going to be on television. I have no reason not to take him at his word. Uh, If his understanding of wrestling fans is what it appears to be, he seems to understand that having the authority figure is a played-out trope. And I think the executive vice presidents know that that is a played-out trope. It is. (laughs) And I think we're not giving Cody Rhodes enough credit for uh, putting out the symbolism that he knew exactly what he was doing he knows exactly what people are thinking about him and Cody and the Bucks as executive vice presidents. And I think they're a pretty self-aware promotion in that regard. Mm. Uh, second thing, there were things that the television production did for this show that you do not see on Monday or Tuesday nights. Uh, there were no unnecessary zoom-ins and zoom-outs uh, there only were, one very necessary one, <laughs> which we'll get to. Yes, uh, there were very few, very few arbitrary crowd shots, and on commentary, uh, my man Excalibur, he was actually, so good. He was he, so good. He called the moves. He called the matches. He told the story. Jim Ross and Alex Marvez chimed in when they needed to, but 
Excalibur carried the show like a wrestling show. Yeah. And for the PWG fans out there, I say, you already know that. I already knew that. We already knew Excalibur would kill it. And that was just another thing that definitely stood out to me. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of things just on the whole that this was clearly saying we are an alternative. And to me, that's great. And I really, really appreciated, like I said, 97% of what was on the show. Yeah, that's a that all makes sense. And if if the goal was and, to say, and that three percent that I didn't really really hurts because it involved someone I genuinely love. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Oh, I was saying that the three percent that I didn't. It really really hurts because it involved <laughs> someone that I genuinely love. Oh, I'll be curious to hear. Uh, I'll be curious to hear about about this. Um. So, but yeah, no, if their goal was to um, say to people that we are not another, how do I say, we're not another TNA, we're not another ROH in terms of being indie, like that we are major league, that we're a big deal, that we are on par with the Fed, um, I think that there was a, they did a good job. Uh, of of ticking that box for sure. Um, do you want to talk about? Do you have any other big picture things you wanted to talk about? Do you want to talk about some of the the moments you liked now, or or what would? You, how do you want to break this down? Uh let's just jump in, and I will let you go first, Doc. Go ahead and tell me some things that you enjoyed, because as I've said. 97% of the show got a thumbs up from me. So I, okay. I will defer to you to start off. Um, well, we've talked about this on Grappalicious before, but listen, I'm glad Excalibur was there because, like you said, he killed it. Um, he was necessary for all of this to work. But God, I, I just... <laughs> Jim Ross, man. Jim fucking Ross was just, he just warmed my heart. It was so good. And, you know, you could ask me. And what you... was great, what was especially great is that as the show went on, he really picked it up. He did. He, re he, he sure did. He really did. did. And uh, he <laughs> by the end, he was like referring to Excalibur as X. <laughs> like they had grown closer over the course of the evening. Um, but But yeah, I mean, if you asked me, do you like like Jim Ross for real or do you like him ironically? My answer would be yes. Because like he gives because he was such a part of my childhood, he gives everything when his presence provides this air of legitimacy, this kind of adds to the quote unquote, this is an overused phrase, but it's apt in this case, the big fight feel for me personally. But also I mean, he does things like, you know, when Aja Kong gets tagged in, he says, she's not the kind of woman that you find in the kitchen making biscuits. And it kills me. It not just another pretty face. Kills me. <laughs> so that was like a huge plus. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter, of course, 
saying, well, one of the reasons I'm not watching is because JR. And I'm just like, oh, mm, I slurp it up. Your negativity fuels me. It feeds you're, my soul. You're lost, losers. Yes. Um, but I think the biggest winner, I, like, I can't believe I'm about to say this. If you told me before I sat down to watch this show that anything to do with the Rhodes brothers and their match would be not just yes. the thing I liked, but the best thing on the goddamn show, I would have been like, you're a liar and you don't know me. But by God, like that match was so great. It was, and not even from a technical point of view, but just the emotion in the story was thoroughly gripping. I couldn't look away if I wanted to. It was so arresting. I was I was in it for every for every move, uh, for every you know new spot of blood. Uh, it was really, you know. I think it probably harkened back to a lot of wrestling before I was a wrestling fan. And, and Dustin Dustin Rose even said uh, in his post show press conference, uh, and I quote. We took it back to 1985. <laughs> and Cody has also said that he knows that he's not Mr. Five-star, six-star match guy, but he knows how to bring emotional storytelling into a match. And this is what they did. Uh, and the video packages leading up to it with the generation versus generation and Cody wanting to kill the Attitude Era and his mm. entrance with the sledgehammer and destroying the throne and, and just there was so much going on here that invoked so many emotions and it was it was emotional pro wrestling at its finest. Uh, Jim Ross uh, said that it was old school and th that was the JR moment for me. That was one of two. Uh, and it definitely had that 1980s Terry Funk, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair feel to it. And mm. that that is clearly what the brothers know what to do better than damn near anybody out there. And this is right now my match of the year for 2019. It, it really, really is. Like, and it wasn't just the match itself. It was everything from beginning to end. Uh, I know how much you love a lot of the things that OTT does. And when we watched that show, and the, sh the one that caught the most attention for me was the match with the tag team that split up and they were together and this it was this long two-year thing and that's what Dustin and Cody felt like there was all of this history real life and not uh, Cody talking about the generational differences and and wanting to be someone that put over the current era in front of the Attitude Era and wanting to destroy the Attitude Era. Uh, and Cody even saying in his uh, presser after the show, I know we're not really saying we're starting a war, but I kind of want that smoke. I kind of do. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, and, I didn't get to see the, the pressers afterwards, so I should go back and watch those. Yeah, they, they are on, on the YouTubes. Uh, and also with it ending the way that it did, with... Cody and Dustin 
reconciling. Yeah. Co- Cody saying that he had a match against the Young Bucks with a tag team partner of his choosing. And for Cody to say that he doesn't need a partner, he doesn't need a friend, he needs a brother. And bring it when in. They, bring when it they in. <laughs> when they panned to the commentary team, and you could see Jim Ross and Excalibur all sort of trying to hold back tears, that that was just flawless pro wrestling from start to finish, including the oh. bell to bell action. It was just. Just the entire presentation, it is my match of the year right now for 2019. Cody and Dustin. Wow. I it's on the list for me for sure. Um I'm a sucker for all that shit, man. Everything you just said is is also just a huge part of why why it was really special. And I feel like that they did something that their dad would be would be proud of, you know, and and I'm not like you said Cody's not not a um a star ratings guy and uh I don't think Goldust was either um but Dustin you know, hit be- a code red in this match which was amazing <laughs> it was incredible it was like totally unexpected that code red that, that was, was that was right up there with Christopher Daniels doing a tope right in the, yes. the hottest part of that match against the Stronghearts so good um but um what was i gonna say uh oh just yeah i mean uh, people so many people really really loved the all-in cody match with aldis i think because of the pomp and circumstance but um because the match was so bad i really was turned off by it and i just did not think i was gonna like this i thought it was gonna be a repeat of that and uh i could not have been more wrong and this was easily the best the best thing. It really, really over-delivered um, for me, where one of the big attraction matches in particular, I think, really under-delivered. This one made up for it big time. I completely agree. And it really showed what Cody brings to the table. And All Elite Wrestling has said that they understand that a wrestling show... Uh, to use the old cliche, can be a buffet. And yeah, Co- what Cody brings to the table is unique to him. And moving on to the Young Bucks, they brought something that is unique to them. And that was a fucking fantastic tag team match uh, against my boys, the Lucha Brothers. And This one was for the Star Geeks, I think. Uh, this was like the PWG indie match. It even had Rick Knox as the referee. So I was just <laughs> like, th- this match is going to be like the super indie match. And I, I loved it. I just, I just loved it. Uh, com- complete with Justin Roberts doing the intro. Like you could feel the energy that was going on here. You could see even in the pre-match intros, uh, the Lucha brothers and the Bucks were just their adrenaline was already off the charts just in the ring intros. <laughs> and it felt like 2012 again. Right. With Robert Stewart the call. Right. And and the crowd gave them all so much. Even after such an intense match like 
the the Cody and Dustin match. Yeah, they still got so much. And Jim Ross, he got my the one I was looking for was the good God Almighty when <laughs> the Lucha Brothers did the the double destroyers with Penta hitting the destroyer on the apron and then Phoenix hitting the destroyer on Nick Jackson in the ring. That that was. That was the one where Jim Ross got the the good God Almighty, and that was enough for me. Uh, but j- just uh, still uh, on on the minute of tag team wrestling, uh, the best friends uh, Dustin and, and Trent uh, taking on Angelico and Jack Evans. That that was some good tag team wrestling too, man. That AEW, was really good. AEW is going to have a great tag team division, and. America is going to see Jack Evans and Angelico together as a tag team. Uh, again, indie legend, uh, my boy Jack Evans from the heavens. Uh, he looked great. Angelico looked awesome. The best friends looked great. Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta looked great. They hugged. It did the Okada camera pan out. <laughs> and it was amazing. And Okada tweeted about it, which yes, is amazing. He, also. Yes, he did. <laughs> Oh, and Helico uh standout from season one of Lucha Underground. Uh that's that was I think maybe he's been on a British show that I've seen that I can't recall, but like I think my only exposure to Helico was from old Lucha Underground stuff and and uh he was great then, he's great now. Jack Evans was pretty freaking incredible. I had never seen a Jack Evans anything. Really? Yeah, thoroughly impressed. He, yeah, he was, he was in two, three, and four of Lucha Underground. And of course, he's one of the OGs of Ring of Honor before he went to Mexico in full, t- full time. That, that's where him and Angelico hooked up. They became a tag team in Mexico. They really do look like they should be in the Tour de France. Or like I was telling you off cast, Angelico looks like he should be cast as the rich boyfriend who's like, I don't know, a Formula One driver. That <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, he, he he's a motorcycle guy. He, he does the motorcycle <laughs> He doesn't stuff. look like a biker at all. Uh, not the stereotypical he's, one. He's like into the motocross stuff. Oh, that, okay. Okay. Uh, like, this makes sense. Um, okay, well, like I said, so they impressed me a lot. Um, that match was really solid. Um, even uh, even the best friends were doing stuff that uh, I don't know in some of their more I guess kind of confined by time uh, New Japan matches that I didn't really get to see uh, they they felt a little bit freer to to kind of wrestle the match that that they wanted to and um, I'm just checking for time yeah so it was a 13 minute match so yeah they had they had time to do their stuff and um, it was really fun. The the Lucha Brothers uh, Young Bucks match, it was phenomenal. Like there are a couple tag teams that I feel like it's okay if they don't do a story and their match is just doing cool stuff, and that's both of these teams. Like they both just do cool shit, like nobody's business, and I mean, and I've seen both of these teams before a handful of times, but they were doing shit that I had never seen them do before in this match. And uh, a couple times I definitely had to get up from the laptop and just like walk around. Just be like, did you see that shit? 
Uh, that it was even really, Jim really Ross good. was like, even Jim Ross was like, God, I'm exhausted. I know. <laughs> How are these guys yes. still going? <laughs> I was really surprised that the Young Bucks won the match. I thought that they would give the AAA belts back to uh back to the lucha bros were you surprised yes i was but at the same time uh as alex marvez said uh pentagon and phoenix are as successful as a tag team as they are as singles competitors uh phoenix was a former uh triple a make champion Mm -hmm. and pentagon was lucha underground champion and impact world champion Mm -hmm. Uh, so they are as successful as singles guys as they are as a tag team I would not be surprised if the Young Bucks dropped those titles to them in Mexico or some other tag team in Mexico for AAA. But yeah, that really did surprise me. However, comma, uh, word got out that Northeast Wrestling, the, the indie company in Connecticut that somehow puts on these amazing shows that aren't even live streamed, uh, they announced a match earlier today, Doc, that as we're recording this, that Pentagon will be taking on John Moxley. Whoa, this is your fucking, this is what you want. <laughs> this that's, is your dream match. Th- that's the match I wanted, and I got to find a way to see it. I got to find a way to see that match. Because Northeast Wrestling, they don't live stream. I think they're on high spots, but I got to see that match. Uh, and also, uh, another one that they'll be doing is John Moxley versus Darby Allen who, for you fans of being the elite, uh, saw Darby Allen tried to, well, MJF tried to get in Darby Allen's way, and Darby Allen was having none of it. Uh, I'm I'm definitely excited to see Darby Allen and John Moxley. I think at this point, that pretty much checks off all but one (laughs) of the John Moxley dream matches. So Yeah. Uh, Those two, I feel like, afterward after they just destroy each other, would just kind of sit up and start evil laughing to each other and become like evil friends. <laughs> that, that's their destiny. It's either Darby Allen or the, the other gentleman who I'm assuming AEW is saving that, because we know, we know, I think everybody knows that there is going to be a match with John Moxley and Jimmy Havoc. Yes. I think everyone knows that match is coming. James Havoc Jr. Esquire. I feel Jonathan like Moxley. It, it reminds me of when Kurt Angle first signed with TNA uh, back in 2006. It, it was like, oh, they have to do a match with Joe. Like it, it's gonna happen, and and they did. They they wasted no time. Like yeah, we're like here's we're we're gonna start promoting this match right now. I feel like everyone and their dog named Pharaoh probably knows that the John Moxley Jimmy Havoc match is coming. It's going to happen. Oh yeah. So this match with Pentagon, I'm going to enjoy. This match with Darby Allen, I'm going to enjoy. And yeah, John Moxley. He has signed a multi-year multi-year deal with it's All Elite Wrestling. It's damn true. And I'm thrilled. I mean, this is uh this is this is a big deal. Um, I, I for for John, I am happy because you know the smoke on the street is that he was very unhappy creatively, 
and I think he will be fulfilled. I mean, I think they even alluded to that on the broadcast that Jim said that he's probably feeling more fulfilled right now than he than he has in years, whilst he was kicking Kenny Omega out of the ring. Um, however, like as 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 happy as I am, I mean, just that it's happened. Uh, let me ask you: Do you think the way that it happened, with it being kind of part of the sort of an extension of the main event. Um, how do I put this into words, DJM? That, that this is AEW saying, look, we have another big star. It's, it's, a, it's an ex-WWE guy, just like this guy we have in the main event. You know these guys from the WWE. You can come see the stars that you know here. I um, think rather than like building, I think I, mean, I know this is one show. This is just one show, but sorry, go ahead. I believe you might be fixating on WWE a little too much. And I think this was all elite wrestling making a no brainer decision. Uh, he's not just a former WWE guy. He's a former WWE champion. Don't forget that. Uh, he, here is a guy who has been a champion, who has been in the ring with the biggest names in the industry. He's not just a guy. Oh, I and don't think that that's that's not what I'm saying. I, I feel not, like by any means, this is not what I'm what I'm saying. At I feel all. like him. I feel like all elite wrestling reaching out to him is a no brainer. Of course. Uh, Not just because of his name, but his obvious talent and his obvious need to be more than just a guy on the roster. Here is a guy that is clearly going to do more and give more. And I think AEW would have been silly not to at least give him a phone call. Oh and my god. Did. You're right. No, I mean we were uh, we've talked about for months that we both wanted this to happen. I think it's a, a good move for them. I guess I don't want every AEW pay-per-view to or or 6 out of the next 12 to end with former WWE guy crashes the main event. And oh, I don't. He's like I'm here now too. I you know? I think that this was uh, as we are with this podcast capturing the zeitgeist and capturing the moment and it was a perfect mix of timing and serendipity that AEW would have been crazy not to jump on i think people would be criticizing AEW had John Moxley not have been there more than likely yeah yeah i mean i have to say i expected him to be in the battle royal so when he wasn't, I was like, oh, well, I guess he's not showing up. Um, and I had thought, well, he's obviously going to be somewhere near the world title. That, that was my thought. Like, he, he's go- like, if Adam Page won the Battle Royal, my thought was he's going to be near the world title. Like, you just don't bring him in and then just put him somewhere in the middle of the card. You just don't do that. Mm. And Okay. Yeah. They put him in the perfect... Sp- They're putting him with Kenny Omega. Like, 
that is a world championship feud right there. And you've got they've already got the two marquee matches for their next show. Adam Page and Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega and John Moxley. Those are two outstanding pro wrestling matches uh, anywhere in the world. And Yeah, and and those will will take place, you know, even I think months down the line because at their next at their next show Kenny's uh booked in the main event against Shima um for Fighter Fest, I believe. So oh. I don't know if those will take place at fight I probably fight for the fallen. I don't think stuff has been announced for that yet. Or I could be wrong about that. Maybe. Uh but I, I feel like it was a no brainer. It was a no brainer to put him right where it was. It got exactly the reaction they needed. And it created a buzz, and that's what this show needed to do. It needed to be a show that created buzz, and, and it really, really has. So I I have no issue with it. I feel like it was exactly what, that, what needed to be done. Uh, if a story had leaked out that AEW reached out to John Moxley and he turned them down, well, what can you say? But if it had leaked out that AEW just didn't reach out to John Moxley at all, we would be crucifying them for it. But here he is, right in the world title picture. So it it makes perfect sense to me. Oh yeah, I mean I think bringing him in again very smart. Um, I guess I just I was thinking, like you said, he would be doing. His part of the buffet, so to speak, would be matches with Penta, matches with Darby, matches with Jimmy uh, in the, uh, you know, hardcore vein, if not the deathmatch vein. I guess I didn't expect him to show up and immediately go to the top of the card. Um, Again, I hope this is not a thing that is a regular thing with WWE folks pushing for their release and then... how would you feel about the top of the card? How would you feel about revival versus the Young Bucks? How would you feel about that? Well, that that's I think different because they have been building that storyline for a long time, and so I think that there's already there's already a program there um, for that, and the tag team division does not have as many. I don't know. There, it feels like they're they still need more. There's not as many sort of challengers to the Young Bucks that are apparent to me as there would be uh, challengers for the AEW title uh, at this point. At least, I don't know, but they they have to build some. I, I, I do like, I do, I guess, see where they're coming from Uh putting Moxley there to end the show on a high note and of course to create buzz. I mean, it's a, it's a creative ton of buzz, but you know, you had the big heel go over uh babyface star Omega and taunting the crowd. Perhaps that would have been a bit of a downer to close the show on. So have Moxley come down, stir shit up, um, drive the cat- crowd into a frenzy before, before leaving. It's smart. It makes sense. Um, so I'm down with that. Uh, I, I think the other things I would shout out on the show as being very good were 
both of the six-person tag matches. Uh, the Joshi match was was awesome. Uh, I expected that to be awesome, and it totally delivered. Um, now, I am just kind of getting into Japanese women's wrestling, so I wasn't familiar with everyone involved, but, um, but man, they really... Uh, Ryu Mizunami especially really really spoke to me on a deep level. Uh, for she me, was it was great. Emi Sakura. For me, it was Emi Sakura, the ringmaster. <laughs> yes, she was great. She was brilliant in in Mike Stand notwithstanding, uh, brilliant in that Christopher Daniels kind of way. In that uh, she might be a little bit older, but she's still really awesome. mm Hmm. And I, I loved Emi Sakura. And then when I looked her up, it was like, oh, she founded Ice Ribbon. That is the one Joshi promotion that I really, really enjoyed for a while. So, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. So for me, it was Emi Sakura. Ice Ribbon. Sorry, I need to watch Ice Ribbon. Everyone raves about Ice Ribbon. I've not gotten a chance to check it out. Joshi promotions are very difficult. They're, they're so, like, because their YouTube channels are sparse at mm-hmm. times and it's hard to find and hard to follow but, you just yeah. have to wait for their stuff to air on tv and hope people tape it pretty much uh but that that was really good i think everybody and oh yuka my, my girl uh, from tokyo joshi pro the, the yuka person Sakazaki. I was, yeah yes. she's the person i was most familiar with going into this magical girl yuka she she was so good at uh, I, I will say her character when it came to Yuka Sakazaki, I get it now. Like I had not seen very much of her, but after seeing her here, I I get it and I understand. I get it. And and Aja Kong, of course. I mean, what can you say, right? I mean, she's just awesome. <laughs> she hit her spinning back fist. Yes. She attacked the timekeeper. <laughs> rang the bell too early. <laughs> It was great. So much fun, man. And uh, they they moved fast and hit hard, and and it was it was really good. I can I ask you: Have you heard um, people kind of make the claim? Because uh, I've heard this a lot. Tell me if you've heard this: that AEW may be trying to position the Joshi division, the Joshi contingent, um, those matches. In the same way that WCW in the 90s positioned their cruiserweights and the Luchador specifically as kind of, here's a flavor that we offer that no one else is offering in American wrestling. It's something that you may have never seen before if you only watch American wrestling. Have you heard that? And does that like hold water to you? I'm pretty sure I've heard the AEW team themselves say something in that. Okay, regard. okay. I'm pretty sure it was Kenny Omega who said that. Well, no wonder and, other people are saying. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I'm honest, the Luchadors and the WCW Cruiserweight division was like the genesis of everything that I passionately love about wrestling. So for them to use the Joshi talent in the same vein, I don't see it as a bad thing. I... um. It, it totally makes sense. I wonder if, you know, because, okay, so back in 1995, 1996, the internet was, you know, just coming out. I think in 1996, it just emerged. It just came to exist. And it was 
a little bit harder. I mean, tape trading was a thing, but it was a little bit harder for your average person to see Lucha Libre matches. Whereas today, you just got to go on YouTube to look up Joshi matches. So there might not be exactly the same novelty factor. But, but Doc, I think if they do put I, him in that position, I think it's, I, it's great. I will say, Doc, uh, as I've been seeing on the internet recently, uh, some people don't even know how to follow AEW's own YouTube channel, <laughs> much less Joshi. So this Fair might enough. be the best gate of entry for a lot of people. That's totally fair. And I mean, look, I'm not complaining that that these ladies got the audience they did. I was so happy and equally happy. And I tweeted this for strong hearts that freaking L. Linderman, you know, tiny shit heel, like working in uh, Wrestle One and bombing out of Dragon Gate, like L. Linderman, <laughs> like who's come such a long way and is so great. Like, that he's opening up this huge American wrestling show. It was awesome and sort of surreal. Um, because late last year, I was watching him work, like, DDT houses of just a few hundred people. And, uh, man, to see him do this, and all those guys, like T-Hawk and, and Shima, like, the sort of Strong Hearts brand, it was so awesome. I mean, I was pissed that they lost, but I mean, SCU are going to be these huge figures in this promotion. So what are you going to do, right? And for me, on the other side, uh, for me, it's like seeing, for one, Frankie Kazarian, who for the longest time was always put in a heel role, always. Mm. For him to be such an over babyface and be such an entertaining guy uh, on the YouTube channel and in the matches... Uh, that that is amazing to me because he's he is the baby face that I never knew I needed and he's fantastic. Uh, Scorpio Sky was the workhorse of SCU and he is so damn smooth. He's uh, great. He could I be in there him. with anybody. And as I've said many many times, Christopher Daniels is a Hall of Famer. And for him to be still in there in these kinds of matches with all of these guys, it is incredible. Like, it's hard for me to put into words just how significant Christopher Daniels is to indie wrestling. He is on that mythical level, like the reckless youth Tom Carter and Mike Quackenbush. He's in that upper godlike echelon as far as indie wrestling goes. Uh, Samoa Joe and CM Punk were calling him the old man back in the day, <laughs> and he's still like going at this high level, and he's still hilarious. He's still just showing so much energy and so much personality. Very charismatic. He, he knows how to entertain. All of those dudes in SCU really know how to entertain, and the strong hearts, they were as solid as I was hoping. Uh, I already know that Shima is fantastic. Uh, he's your dude. And he's my guy. He he is my guy. And the strong hearts team, they they fit right in. This this felt like a Dragon Gate six man, and I'm totally okay with that. And I guess it'd be more appropriate to say it felt like a Michinoku pro. Uh, All right, tag match because <laughs> Daniels and Shima were the ones starting off, mm -hmm. so it, it was the OGs starting the match. So I guess it was a Michinoku Pro style at, at first, but yeah, it was that that tag match was was everything.
it it was great. It it was it was really good. I I wanted it to keep going. I was that was and and I one just of the realized I was mad <laughs> that was over. And now something that Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky said on the YouTube channel uh, now has to come true. Uh, because if you've been paying attention, uh, they've been doing training montages. Uh, they they did a training montage for Rocky Three, uh, for All In. Uh, then they did Rocky Four for Double or Nothing, and then at the end of that one, they said, "Well, we have to do Rocky Five now." So that now we get to see the SCU training montage for Rocky Five, and I'm so excited. Um. And to your point, I mean, Daniels really didn't look that out of place um, in this match. And hey, I mean, neither did Shima. I mean, he's over 40 and might have been the most athletic person in the ring of all those athletic guys. And Daniels, you know, I saw him live. uh, What was it? August of last year. So not too many months ago, not even a year ago um, in one of his, you know, He's winding down with Ring of Honor. And uh, he wrestled the Bucks and the Briscoes in a sort of tornado three-team deal. And it was incredible. And he fucking ruled. Still. Him and Kaz were like the breakout tag team uh, in TNA for a while as the addiction. They were the tag team nobody expected to be awesome, but then ended up awesome. And they just, they, they just, they've been killing it now as a tag team for like five or six years. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really, really great. Um, oh, is there, oh, and by the way, poor Jim, I, I think in this match, he had been really prepped to be like, okay, the OWE guys are coming. Shima is bringing the Chinese acrobats, right? But like, <laughs> People, I guess, forgot to tell him, or he couldn't sort of. These were all sentence. these were all Japanese guys. They weren't from China. <laughs> no, they were not Chinese. Oh man, I was like, please don't like, you know. I was like, Excalibur, I love you, and I know you have all this information, but don't wax lyrical about like OW because like it will just confuse Jim and also other people watching because these guys are all like they're Dragon Gate guys. <laughs> they're Japanese guys. Just um, call the match, guys. <laughs> just call <yeah>. the match. <laughs> No, but uh, so do you want to talk? Uh, well, so you said you didn't really have too many negatives. Um, I literally have only one, and it kills me because it's with someone I love. Okay, do you want to share that now? Yeah, or okay. should I? Shh. Maybe I should. Oh, this librarian skit with <laughs> Peter Avalon and, and my girl Leva Bates. It did not work. Oh, that's right. Oh, it like I they were trying to do something, but it didn't really work. It it was cool when Leva showed up and she had the book uh entitled Whatever Happened to the American Dream and, and it was like, oh. oh, I see what she's doing cuz cuz she's smart like that. She she does little things like that. Uh but yeah, the the skit where her and Peter Avalon were shushing each other back and forth 
with Kylie Ray <laughs> stuck in the middle. Uh, <laughs> while it was hilarious, that, that part, it was like, yeah, I don't think that really worked. Yeah, and, it was a little and, weird. Oh, Leva, I love you. I love you with all my heart, but that didn't quite work. <sighs> well, hopefully they'll get another bite at the apple. You know, one strike, uh, that's not, let's not kill them. You know, give it another try. Maybe, maybe at, uh, at Fighter Fest, we'll see. We'll see them do something else. Um, here's a criticism I have. The main event. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not bad. I don't think it was bad at all. But I think especially following the two matches that preceded it, uh, those guys really did not take it to the level that I know that they that they can. And this is the match I was looking forward to seeing most, I think, honestly. I mean, as much as I was looking forward to Stronghearts being there and the Joshi match, like, I knew that those would be kind of limited on time. And I thought, okay, Jericho and Omega, both amazing talents, amazing minds for wrestling They'll have as much time as they need to tell an incredible story and show us something we haven't seen before. But they didn't even I don't think that they reached the level that uh, that they reached at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, was it 12? I think it was Wrestle Kingdom 12 where they yeah, where they did uh, Alpha Omega um, was Wrestle, from, from last year. From what I could tell, they were definitely crunched on time. That's what it felt like to me. Uh, that mm. that's the impression that I got uh, with the Moxley run in and the brawl between Moxley and Omega. I definitely got that they were crunched on time. What I did like from that, and I'm probably in the minority on this one, I liked the finish. I liked uh, the, <laughs> the Judas like, effect. The Judas effect. It was kind of a like, whoa. Because sometimes pro wrestling has these dots that you're supposed to hit. It has these check marks that you're supposed to check in matches. And the fact that this match didn't really do that, I thought that was kind of cool. I think that surprise finishes like that, that kind of come out of nowhere with Jericho just hitting a spinning back elbow, was actually kind of cool. And it was different. And... I appreciated it and it made sense from a like a match logic point of view because Omega had already taken a bunch of shots to the head so that and this he, headshot would knock him out was not crazy and he clearly had a broken nose which I imagine yes. was probably a hindrance in the match as well because uh, Kenny got his nose broken very early in the match and that might have slowed him down a bit too so I imagine that if this match had, I'll put it this way, at All In, the Young Bucks main evented, and they got cut short. They really did. Um, on, but on this show, the Young Bucks were in the semi-main, and they got all the time they needed uh, And the main event between Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, from my point of view, probably got short, cut short. Well, they still, they had, they got more time than the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers even got. Bucks Lucha Brothers was twenty four forty eight. Omega Jericho was twenty six fifty two. 
Mm. So they wrestled longer. Long. They wrestled longer than anyone else on the show. Even even Dustin Cody was only twenty two minutes. It really didn't feel as long as that. It really didn't. I agree with you there. It did. It did fly by. It just. Oh, I just expected. I just expected more. I expected them to. I don't know. Get to that's get something to a that I'm. Level. That's something that I'm seeing from a lot of people. Some people were expecting to just be absolutely blown away by this show and just have it be one of the greatest shows ever. And I think people might be disappointed in that it was a really, really, really good show, but it wasn't one of the best shows ever. No, but it was really, 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 really good from top to bottom, in my opinion. It wasn't the best wrestling show I watched this week. It, <laughs> it was for me. I will say it, that. But it was a good show. It was a good show. For um, me, it it hit all of the boxes of everything that I would like in a wrestling show. It had characters that I care about, and that's one thing I really love about AEW is that the roster is full of people that I genuinely really care about as as performers and as characters. Uh, it had... It's a good roster. Lots of different flavors of wrestling, lots of different flavors of in-ring action. It had a world title that I thought looked pretty cool. It looked great. I also popped for Brett. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's he's my all-time fave. Uh, it it had Justin Roberts, who is my favorite ring announcer in the last few years, in mm-hmm. recent memory. Mm-hmm. It just it had all of those things. The only thing that it didn't really have was the Meltzer seven-star match. Mm-hmm. And the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers got pretty close to that. But I, I, For me, this was the most I have enjoyed a wrestling show as a complete package in a very long time. But I'm probably different from a lot of quote-unquote internet wrestling fans in that I like a wrestling show that is more than just the matches. And for me, AEW's Double or Nothing provided that. Hmm. Uh, It provided more than just the matches. It it provided a complete pro wrestling package. And I'm very satisfied. So have Meltzer's ratings for this come out yet? I don't think they have. Well, so I can share with you the... The cage match inmates. Um, I know that uh, cage match and grapple are two kind of ways to look at consensus. And uh, the cage match is actually with you in terms of their ratings and their recommended stuff. Um, the Rhodes Brothers match is far and away the most highly rated thing. And honestly, it's high, more highly rated than a lot of matches I see on this website. It's got a 9.19 out of 10, which is extremely high. So, like, they're giving it the most stars, and they gave the Bucks uh, 8.6, and a few other matches got just under 8. So, uh, I think the two matches that we liked the most, I think most other people probably liked them the most, at least if we're going to use cage match as a a metric. Um, So, I guess we're not as much in the minority. Um, But, okay, so to round out my own feelings on it. Um, there were ups and downs for me, um, but 
I definitely see enough here that that I think it, this is a company worth definitely worth keeping track of, worth following. Uh, I want to see what they do next. I'm intrigued. I want to see some of their matchups. I mean, I think Kenny versus Shima is going to be um, freaking incredible. That is a match that I'm hyped for. That's a first-time match, and we'll get it because of AEW. So thank you, AEW. Um, despite the fact that it's two losers <laughs> facing each other, headlining their next show, I'm totally fine with it because I know it'll be an awesome match. Um and yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I feel I, I wish I would have said this on pod DJM, but um, how I thought that they were going to book uh, the world title was I thought that they would. Or here's what I thought that they should have done. Right. Was have the what were supposed to be the two main event singles matches function as a sort of mini tournament. So I would have had uh, the winner of Hangman Pac, which I assumed to be Hangman, face the winner of Omega Jericho, which I thought should be Jericho, uh, which not not a lot of other people seem to think that, but I always thought Jericho should win that match. Um, and it turns out that they went about it a different way, but that is what they're going to end up doing for their title. And I'm excited for that for sure. I'm really excited because I feel like it could go either way. And that's really all you want in a world championship match uh, these days where you feel like the outcome is not obvious. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. I expect expect Hangman, uh, if I had to call it now, I would think that Jericho will do his damnedest to put over Adam Page and help make him a star. Um, I think that I I've thought since he came out at the first, uh, you know, big press conference reveal type thing and said, I want to be the first champ. I thought that was them showing their cards that, that Adam page is going to be a main event player in the company. will probably be the first champion. will be in and around the world title picture and will be the first star quote unquote, homegrown star that they really make. I agree that they are clearly positioning Adam Page as that person. But it would not be surprising to me if they wait till they have their television in Mm. place for it to happen. It would not surprise me to see Chris Jericho win and go into AEW television as the champion. That would make sense. And then the chase for Adam Page would happen on TV. On TV. And then culminate with him winning at a later date. That totally, that's great. That totally works. Um, yeah, and have have the angle kind of be like, oh, I beat you before. What are you still doing? Like, we all know I can beat you kind of thing. That would be really good. Were you surprised that they didn't let him talk when MJF got to talk for what seemed like forever and Adam Page did not pick up a microphone to counter him? I wanted Adam Page to speak. He didn't get to talk at all during that title reveal segment. He just kind of walked out, looked at MJF talk for a while, and walked back. I thought that was kind of odd. I think that was so people don't forget about MJF. Because I feel like in a couple of years, we will be talking about Adam Page and MJF headlining AEW. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, no, I mean that makes that makes sense. I think MJF is hard to hard to forget about in some ways. I for me, I would have liked to you know like have this guy they're positioning as champion like get to have his say. But look, this is very nitpicky. Um, I think the show was a very good show. I'm not going to kill it for that. So, um, yes, go humanoids and watch the show if you have not watched it. I I do think it's worth your time, especially if you're. If your sensibilities line up with DJMs, um, it's clearly he gives it the the two thumbs up. I'm going to give it the one thumbs up and say I still think it's worth seeing. There's some really good stuff there, some really fun stuff. And it's a good foundation. A good foundation has been laid. Good for first show. Good mm-hmm. first show. Probably I think it's going to do I think it's going to do really good for them numbers wise and Money the wise. best. This is definitely the best first show for a wrestling company I think I've ever seen. I don't know if I've ever seen another first show before. <laughs> so. I have. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh wait, I have seen one. This was better than Progress's first show. <laughs> mm. Um. So, transitioning from our review into the headlines. Um, AEW provides the transition here so a person that was supposed to be uh, on the show uh, one Pac um, this is uh, you know old news by now but I figured like let's have our takes on it here Pac was meant to wrestle Adam Page in what was one of, it was one of the things I was most excited about before it got uh, axed from the card. Um, they are saying that there were creative differences between Pac and AEW on on how the match was meant to go. So they did not wrestle at Double or Nothing. They wrestled at a different venue beforehand, and you can see the match on YouTube. I have not seen it. I heard it wasn't really anything special. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about right. Okay, okay. The good old uh, Gentleman's Three kind of deal? Uh, no, no. It was <laughs> it was Pac doing what he's been doing uh, in the UK when he's not being booked for Dragon Gate. Essentially getting himself disqualified. Oh, oh, great. And, and continuing to tell everyone he has not been beaten in 20 months. Which is... You know, I, I, th- oh, oh, I mean, he's a bastard, Doc. He's, I know he's so he, he's a bastard. He's he a bastard. But this, the here's the drawback of bastarddom, bastardhood, I guess, for me is that, you know, he's, he's the freshness of him being in Dragon Gate, being at RevPro, OTT, doing his independent kind of tours, has uh, worn off a bit. And I'm not saying I don't want to see Pac matches anymore. I'm saying, like, it's just not the hot new thing. And I can only see Pac win or get DQ'd you know, so many times before I start losing interest. It's a little bit like the Tony Storm thing we talked about last time, 
And that like, if you're just going to bring her over and start her for this tour where she's going to win or get time limit draws, you know, you yourself just said the outcome being uh, unpredictable and not really known, the fact that it could go either way is part of what gives wrestling, part of what gives matches kind of an extra uh, boost. It gives them their magic, makes them more interesting. And, you know, the the Pac shtick is just a little bit less interesting. I mean, I want... I know he's his own boss, and I, I respect the, this kind of old-school mentality that, you know, he's having. Like, it's my decision that I don't want to make the Dragon Gate and the Dragon Gate title look bad by losing. Like, it's a thing I can totally respect, but, like, I don't know. At the same time, as a fan, I mean, I want to see interesting matches. So I guess in a sense, I'm glad it didn't make the card because I would not have wanted to see like a draw or a DQ finish or some other kind of fuck finish. And And AEW clearly knew that. And they knew that about their audience. And they knew that about the fact that this was their first show. And they called an audible and made a change. Where are you with Pac and, and all of that? I'm pretty indifferent about him right now. Uh, he's going to keep doing what he's doing in Dragon Gate. Which is uh, great. Which, which, is, which is great. And he's probably going to keep doing what he's doing everywhere else he's booked. Uh, all sides have said that they hope to work together again in the future. Mm. And hopefully that comes to fruition. But maybe I'm just kind of jaded and i don't expect or demand everything to have a clean finish all the time i kind of brushed it off honestly when i heard the news just like okay yeah whatever i hear what you're go back to dragon gate (laughs) i I, I don't care right AEW wolf they figured it out they figured out a way around it and it was fine so whatever by the way his match with KZ for February might be my match of the year. <clears throat> it's it's in the running. It's so so good. Um, I uh, I don't like messy finishes, especially in main events. I don't think everything. I I'm with you. Every not everything has to be a clean finish, but I think. That, to me, is a separate issue from Pac always having to win, which I think is that takes the interest away from me, is that he's either going to win or they're going to have a non-finish. And that, that's just, I don't know, it's boring to me. It's boring. So I guess... I I agree. That's why I'm kind of looking at Pac with indifference. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying, whatever, dude, go ahead and go back to Dragon Gate. When you're done there, <laughs> you can do stuff with everybody else. Maybe he'll drop the title soon, and then, you know, then we can see uh, some more engaging stuff from him. Um, okay, we don't have to talk about this title thing. Do you, we've been going on. Did you want to talk about the pricing, or do you want to skip over that? What do you think? We can skip it, honestly. Uh- um, have you been watching the best of Super Junior 26? Here is the reality, Doc. 
<laughs> you know, you know how I've said before that just matches doesn't really do it for me. I've heard you say this. I've been watching more of the post-match promos from the best of the Super Juniors than the actual matches themselves. And I'm really grateful for New Japan's YouTube channel because I I enjoy watching their pressers and enjoy watching their promos uh, because you get to get an idea of who all of these guys are. Mm-hmm. And that is how I've been enjoying most of the best of the Super Juniors. Uh, I like Doki. I like Doki a lot. Yes, we're a pro-Doki podcast. Hell Yes, all of you Doki haters out there, shut the fuck up. Doki is great. What is your problem if you don't like him? He rules. I mean, is he, you know, the next uh, Will Ospreay Dragon Lee? No, but who cares? Not everyone needs to be that. He just comes out there looking like Sub-Zero, hitting fools with his stick, doing splits, being scummy. And awesome. He's great. The Grappalicious podcast fully endorses Doki. Thank Doki you. Doki rules. Um, he's been, uh, what a surprise. Uh, I'm glad that you're watching the the promos and, and the after match uh, interviews. Like, because what I love, one of the things I love about this tournament, and I do love this tournament um is i think there's a lot of really cool ongoing stories in it that it doesn't feel like um the new japan cup felt which really did sort of feel like you know to the best of my recollection like it was the matches uh, and kind of that's it uh but there's some ongoing stuff there's you know will shingo make it uh, to the end, undefeated. Uh, how much more hateable will Phantasmo become? Like <laughs> the the emergence of Sho Tanaka and like him breaking out and becoming a legitimate threat. Rocky Romero showing that he's still got some in the tank. God, he's been so good. Uh, Robbie Eagles like becoming this like fighting baby face from within the bullet club. Um, just all these characters are so fun to follow and the matches have been really great. Um, I will provide four matches and none of them will have the same people. I think everyone is having great matches. I'm like one show behind. So, uh, I might be missing, um, some really, really great stuff that happened on the last show. But um, I will provide four that I think you and others should watch if they have not been watching. One, from night one, Shotanaka versus uh, Shingo Takagi. The star making might be a bit much, but this really was like show's coming out party because he was revealed to have his new look, his new music, new gear, new hair, um, and push the heretofore unbeaten Shingo all the way to the limit in a really hard-hitting match. 
Um, and then you have uh, Will Ospreay versus Bandito. Was incredible. It was so good. That was from the second Corican uh, show. Not night two. I forget what night it is, but it's from the second of the three Corican shows. And you called it that it was going to be great, and it was great. I mean, it was... They just, you know, pulled out the kitchen sink and everything else and, and had a, like, just a just a banger. Everything you'd expect those two um, to do, they did. And it was, it was awesome. Uh, I just got through seeing uh, on the, the third Corican show, um, uh, Teton versus Dragon Lee. And that was just a great Lucha Libre style match. Like everything was, it was really smooth and just great counters. Um, The storytelling was really interesting. Um, I love Dragon Lee's mixture of the sort of Shibata-esque Japanese uh, strong style with Lucha Libre. I think he's a, a really, really interesting wrestler um and i guess i'll give credit to phantasmo (laughs) his match with will osprey was really good because he did a fucking backflip from a balcony (laughs) oh oh el phantasmo (laughs) um but yeah BOSJ this year. Oh, just I'm, I'm sorry, like Doc. the different kinds of like like we alluded to with Doki. Like, there's so many different styles of wrestler. I didn't even talk about Jonathan Gresham, who's having a great tournament. Um, there's something there for everybody. All right, go ahead, laugh at me about Phantasma. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Doc. I I'm sorry. I am a terrible person. But I love him. <laughs> I absolutely love him. Because I love when Bullet Club are just the worst people in the world. I love it. And I love seeing how much heat they can get. And these are these respectful Japanese fans that and you have like internet wrestling fans that just want to clap and cheer everything so when there's a heel that really 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 pisses them off kind of like mjf i just can't help but just say oh he this is fantastic like it's so it's so dirty he's such a douche and i just find myself absolutely cracking up and i'm sorry i'm so sorry Uh, (laughs) i I know uh, i know i know i know it's awful i'm the worst but i love it well okay let me try to offer a nuanced take on this actually let me grab a second drink before i do that because my (laughs) throat is a little dry is it going to be a strong drink? Oof. All right, folks. Well, while while the subtle doctor refreshes his beverage, I, I just want to say that I I understand 
that some people out there may not be exactly in love with El Phantasmo, but sometimes heels got to get heat, man. That's what you got to do. Mm, all right. I vamped for a little bit. So, you're talking to a person that loves Jay White yeah. and Tomatonga. Yeah. And the Briscoes. So, like, I like jerk characters. Uh, I'm into that. I like edgy characters. You know, Jay White is a fucking edgelord. Um, I'm into that. At one time in my life, I too was an edgelord. Phantasmo, uh, like, giving, giving a baby the bird <laughs> and the real, you know, thing that, the straw that breaks the camel's back for me, the taking the hat from the uh, the fan with, I believe it was Down Syndrome, like, and laughing in his face and throwing the hat. Like, it feels like, and I don't want to sound like it's just because he has Down Syndrome that I have a problem with it. The thing that I, I feel like is wrapped up into the Phantasma character is targeting the kind of fans that no one else will target to make fun of. And, you know, uh, that is, I just think it's not necessary because I don't think like shitty jerks who get quote unquote heat are necessary because I, you know, I was doing some reflecting and we talked about like old, old kind of wrestling logic before. But I was thinking, DJM, I've never bought a ticket or paid any money to a wrestling company to see someone I didn't like get their head bashed in. I and people that I talk to on the internet, so that's a biased pool of people, of course. But I have like paid to go to wrestling shows to see good matches and to see people that I enjoy see people that I like. If there are people that I genuinely don't like, it's not going to I'm not going to pay money to see them fail. I'm just going to turn the channel and not watch them. So, I don't think Yeah, I just think it's unnecessary. I th- you know the kinds of things he's doing. And I know that like so that that was kind of early in the tour, and he's wrestled some really, really great matches uh, since then, by everyone's estimation. And like they say in other sports, winning covers a multitude of sins. So I feel like that the bullshit is going to be very much overshadowed. I don't think anyone's going to be talking about it going forward. I think they're only going to be talking about, we love him because the matches are so good. But I really hated that shit. And I think it, he hasn't done it since. And thank God, hopefully someone, hopefully Will took him aside and said, hey, stop that shit. Cross the line. 
because that was too much. I completely understand your point of view. And I won't even say I disagree. At the same time, there is that little part of me as a wrestling fan who likes seeing someone in the wrestling business that is willing to push the envelope just a little bit because you really don't have that much anymore. Uh, Hmm. Granted, I know this is not the days of Bubba Ray Dudley and ECW. (laughs) I, I, I get that. But El Phantasmo pushing the envelope and being a shady jerk heel even to a, a level of extremes that might make people uncomfortable, I didn't necessarily think it was a bad thing because I think that sometimes wrestling is a little too self-aware. And going back to what we were talking about with AEW, sometimes you've got to go the extra mile to pull some real genuine emotion out of a wrestling fan. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Now, you may be 100% correct that someone pulled El Phantasmo aside and told him to chill. And, And I get that. I understand it. I won't even argue against that. But I liked that he was willing to push the buttons because I don't think that there's enough of that. That there's a lot of people in wrestling who will kind of be heels, but wink and nod at the same time. Right. But there, the fact that there is an MJF or an El Phantasmo that will genuinely say, no, seriously, I fucking hate all of you. Fuck each and every one of you. I don't think that's something that should be lost in pro wrestling. I think that's still needed, even in 2019 when we all know it's fake. I don't disagree with that either. I I like that, you know, and to elaborate a bit more, uh, I have not paid money to see a heel get their ass kicked, but once I have paid my money and I am in the building, it is incredibly fun to boo people I don't like. It is really, really fun. And yeah, I like it when uh, when people, you know, even if they're just going to make fun of the sports team in my local town, it's great to boo them. Or, you know, go the extra mile and say, you know, fuck all of you. I hate you and you all are human garbage or whatever. Like, yeah. I, I agree with you. Like I, I the the evil character shouldn't be shouldn't be lost. Uh, you know, even if you were gonna go whole hog, like I have been thinking about, uh, and say no more faces and heels, just characters with issues, and you know, fans can decide who's on the right side and the wrong side of the particular issue uh, that the feud is about. You still, I mean, wrestling would would suck without people like Minoru Suzuki, who just beats the crap out of young lions and loves to hurt people. Uh, those characters are indeed necessary and good. We can agree on that. Um, did you have more to say about that, or did you want to move on? We can move on. We okay. Can. 
Did you know, DJM, that there's a new king of DDT? I did not, Subtle Doctor. <laughs> Tell me so, about it. Okay, so uh, when we reviewed Maji Manji in January, I mentioned keeping an eye on uh, Konosuke Takeshita, and uh, indeed, he is worth keeping an eye on. He is the new king of DDT. He won their uh, annual single elimination tournament. This is not their their G1-esque one. This is their New Japan Cup-style tournament. Um, And uh, he will now face Tetsuya Endo at Peter Pan in July. And longtime DDT fans uh, are, I think, going to be really, really looking forward to this match because... Those two guys, Endo and Takeshita, came up together. Um, they are a few years apart in age, but they still came up through the company together and were a tag team for a long time um, as as young young boys, young wrestlers. And so to see them kind of blossom and become great singles wrestlers, kind of go their own ways, and now meet uh, at the main event the biggest show of the year for DDT. It's really fulfilling and it is going to be a great match because both of these guys are fantastic. Uh, I've compared Endo to Will Ospreay and I, I will stand by that comparison. Although I think he's a little slightly more risk averse uh, than, than Will. Uh, He still has similar athletic ability and aerial uh, ability as well. And Takeshita is an all-around great wrestler, and you're familiar with his his work at the uh, the Dragon Gate-esque six-man tag that we watched earlier this year. This will be really good. This is going to be very good. I I look forward to it. Let me know how it turns out. Now, what's happening with Stardom? Okay, start another Stardom update. Um, once again, uh, another long, another historic title reign has come to an end. At their May 16 show from uh, Karakuen Hall. We've been talking about Karakuen quite a bit lately. Uh, Momo Watanabe, the Wonder of Stardom champion. Her record-breaking title reign. 13 defenses in less than 12 months. The most ever defenses of that particular title. Um, not not every title of Stardom. Uh, I believe that the the world title has had... Uh, more than 13 defenses in a reign. But this title, their intercontinental belt, their white belt, uh, that title reign has come to an end. Uh, winner of Cinderella Tournament, Arisa Hoshiki, has beaten Momo and captured the white belt. Much to the chagrin of a lot of the internet wrestling fans that you that you speak of. Um, and I think this is a big deal. I think it's interesting um because now um the the champions in stardom are B Priestley uh a gaijin um not necessarily a proven money draw and uh Arissa who has just come back to stardom after being away for a long time she was there at the very beginning of the promotion in 2011 in fact her last title shot was in 2011 Um, But she left for quite a long time, and she's recently returned and won this tournament 
and won this title. And we'll see uh, what her, you know, the interest level and draw that she generates. So stardom uh, in a transitionary period, I guess, is at least as far as their their titles go. Um, they've got all them seventeen off. of them. Yeah, <laughs> they have fewer titles than New Japan. It's okay, <laughs> they're just named weird things, <laughs> so it's it's hard to keep track of the names. Um. Uh, they do have a lot of titles, though, for the size of their roster. That is a fair that is a fair comment to make. Um, but yeah, their their biggest stars, I think, don't have the titles. So we'll see, uh, like going forward, what programs people like Kagetsu and Momo, uh, and and Mayu Iwatani. You know, she's recently dropped the Ring of Honor Women's Title, so uh, she doesn't have that to bring to the table anymore. Um, we'll see what the the faction leaders do. And uh, kind of what programs they get into if they, you know, people, I think a lot of people think that they have Momo drop the white belt to uh, just so she can move on to the world title, the top title. And we'll see if that happens. So interesting times for stardom. All right. Real quick. uh, Impact in all Japan. Let's make these real quick. We don't even have to talk about all Japan. That was very much a, if we need to fill time, here's a rant I can go on. But uh, all right. All right. Then, uh. Real quick on impact. Uh, some impact tidbits. We got Jordan Grace signing with Impact for two years. Uh, you're much more familiar with Jordan Grace, I think, than than I am. Uh, Big Mama Pump, uh, the oh, right. power, the powerhouse uh, of Impact Women's Division. Uh, the story was is that she was offered a deal a while back, but she did not sign uh, until recently, when she officially announced that she was signing the contract with Impact uh, because uh, at the time, I guess her and Jonathan Gresham were still doing the independent thing and she had uh, another career and only until recently she signed with Impact full-time. So good for Jordan Grace. Uh, really happy for her. She's she's really good and uh, all the best. And finally, unfortunately for Impact, um, this sucked. Pursuit uh, screwed up and did not air the Impact main event from uh, Friday, May 17. And I believe they apologized for that. And uh, that was that was a gaffe for Pursuit. And uh, sucks for Impact. I hate, I hate when these little things uh, kind of crop up and can, can be speed bumps to the momentum of, of smaller wrestling companies. Agreed. Um, but they still have their Twitch channel, and all we can hope is that something like this doesn't happen again. And the, the word is, is that Impact is shopping around for another TV deal, so who knows? And they should be. <laughs> Hopefully it's a it's a one that puts them in more houses than their current deal. Amen. They deserve they deserve it. They are much improved from from the impact of yesteryear. So uh, that is all for episode 10 of Grappalicious. DJM, as always, it has been an absolute pleasure talking wrestling with you. Physician of Nuance, it has been a pleasure and a privilege. Uh, I hope you don't see me as an immoral monster now <laughs> after my cackling over Phantasmo, and we not. can do this again. Oh, we most definitely can. We most definitely can. And... uh 
how might people, if they do believe you're an immoral monster, uh, how might they uh, get a hold of you on the internet to reprimand you? Well, if you do feel like I am an amoral monster, which, again, totally justified, especially if you do follow me on Twitter, you can do so at callmedjm. Those are my initials, at callmedjm. And you can find me at the Subtle Doctor, uh, also on Twitter. Um, DJM, uh, speaking of gaffes, um, I, <laughs> I forgot we had two Twitter questions. Uh, I know oh, that well, we're running. good night, everybody. <laughs> Do you want to just skip over them? Yeah, forget them. Okay, okay, okay. Um, very good. Um, Keeps in line with my character. Indeed. Very good. You are you are full heel now. Um, folks, please follow us on Twitter. Like, subscribe, share, do all the things. And we hope you've enjoyed, and we hope that you join us for episode 11 of Grapalicious. Until then, peace. Peace.